Welcome to Construction Cashflow. I'm your host, Stu Davidson, and if you haven't already done so, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We're doing it because we're all infighting. You know, the, the procurement chain from top to bottom is fighting each other. The people at the top of the tree are getting the jobs done cheaper than they should, and we're all losing out, and it's crazy. Everyone's polishing the turd on the way up. We all have to work to try and improve the margins. Because if we improve the margins, we take the pressure off the industry. There is a constant fear of bankruptcy, either your own or people around you. It, it has to change. Construction is a hard game. It's a complicated game. It's often complex. There's a hell of a lot to it. And it deserves to be rewarded for what it is. Everything in construction is about reporting what's happening. And it's about risk management. If you manage the risk properly, you're halfway to being successful. The abusive level of downward pressure on staff throughout the supply chain, it's not main contractors, it goes to clients, consultants are equally as bad. It goes all the way through the train. When we lose sight of humans, individuals, their feelings, then we just become abusers. I'm quite an advocate on mental health issues and, and I'm happy to talk about it now because there are issues that affect a lot of other people in the industry around mental health and the treatment they receive. When I told them I had mental health problems, their treatment of me got worse. The judge recorded that they never offered me any help, any support or anything. That has to change. That has to change. In this show, we ask our guests to tell us their story. Tell us a little bit about their background, how they got to where they are today how they develop their product, their services, their ideas. And we discuss how that can affect construction cash flow and other areas of construction. And also to give us an idea of how we might make things better and give you a few tips and ideas to take away with you. And listen to the end where you'll find out more about them, more about our guests, about what motivates them, what inspires them, and hopefully, that'll inspire you too and always don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode in this episode it's my pleasure to introduce you to the one and only Richard Brackstone Richard has many years experience in the construction industry working on all sides of the fence from consultancy contractors and specialist subcontractors he's a highly accomplished business executive and entrepreneur. And he's also known for his expertise in corporate strategy, finance, leadership, and risk management. He is the founder and CEO of RBMC Consultancy and has built a reputation for creating innovative solutions and driving successful outcomes for his clients. He's a prolific influencer and contributor on LinkedIn and He's a lot of fun to be with. And so it's without further ado, and my pleasure to introduce you to Richard Brackstone. Hi Richard, really great to have you on here. How are you today? I'm good, thanks Stuart, and thanks for inviting me on. I'm pleased to be here. 
Ah, oh, you're so welcome. We've turned up in almost the same jumpers. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> we've, got, we've, we've got the memo. <laughs> We're QSs sticking together. <laughs> so, Richard, tell us a bit about your story and how you got to where you are now. Well, it's been a bit of a journey, that's for sure. Um, so, I guess like a lot of people, I fell into construction by pure chance. Um, when I was at school, um, for many years, I wanted to be a copper. I wanted to be a traffic cop and chase people around uh, in fast cars. But then I realised you had to go on the beat for two years and get beaten up before you could even apply. So I went off that. So I had no clue what I wanted to do. But um, uh, I was in a, a lesson one day and they were talking to us about the exams and career options and all the rest of it. And I suddenly realised, I twigged on to the, this fact, I stuck my hand up and said, excuse me, sir, are you saying that after we've done the O-levels, we can leave, never come back, finished, done? He was like, yeah, I went, sign me up for that. I couldn't wait to get out of there. Now, I shouldn't have been doing that. I went to a grammar school, I went to one of the best grammars in the country at the time. It was... Um, in its heyday, it was second only to Manchester Grammar, but I hated every moment of being there. And I've, I've now discovered that I'm neurodiverse, and looking back, I can see how that environment just didn't suit me at all. And I'm not sure that any school environment would have suited me. So I, I left school. My parents were intent that you worked for a living. Uh, so they made me go out and get a job. I went out, I got a job in a local um, stationery and office equipment suppliers. And I used to regularly rip out the stop room, rearrange it all, tidy it up, things like that. I used to, I, I muscled in and took over doing the uh, window displays in the front of the shop because I just needed to keep the brain occupied. I couldn't stand, we used to have this is before Office Depot and Amazon and all those places. So we used to get orders from local firms. We'd box up the orders and they'd get shipped out with a driver. So if we didn't have people in shop, we didn't have orders, I'd get bored. And I hated it. And I've always been that way. So um, after a while, I realised that wasn't long term for me. I went back to see the local council careers officers. And this lady said to me in talking... Have you ever thought of becoming a surveyor? Now, I knew that being stuck in an office all the time was never going to be any good for me. And I knew that I wasn't one to work with my hands or on the tools. That's not me at all. And I said, hmm, surveyor, what, what are they do? She said, well, you'd spend half your time in the office and half your time out on site. I went, yeah, that sounds good. So she sent me to see the head of construction at our local technical college. He assumed that I wanted to be a QS. I didn't have a clue. Um, started talking to me about being a quantity surveyor. And he talked about quantity surveyors being a bit like the accountants of the building industry. Not entirely accurate, but um, and I thought, mm, accountants, they earn well. Now, I'm, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s sitcoms where there was always, you know, the affluent accountant in suburbia. So I thought, yeah, they do all right. I'll have some of that. So he gave me a list of construction companies that sent them pupils. Um, and I wrote to about 30 companies. I think I got three, maybe four replies. I got one, thanks, but no thanks. One, well, come and see us. If we think you're absolutely brilliant, then we'll give you a job. Uh, and then one proper come and have an interview for our training scheme, which is what I did. I went along. I talked about QSs being the accountants of the building industry. They thought I obviously knew what I was talking about. I hadn't got a clue, but it got me in. And I did a four-year indentured training with Fairclough Building, um, a name that's long since disappeared. You'll be old enough to remember Fairclough, yeah. but a big name in their mm. day obviously merged with Matthew Hall eventually and became AMEC and then that disintegrated and, you know, 
one of the many names that's disappeared. But yeah, that's what I did. And so for four years, I trained as a QS doing day release at college, one long day and one separate evening for four week, uh, four years, once a week, and um, learned on the job as I went along. And I very quickly uh, discovered that I had a natural bent for being a QS. Um, it just suited me, um, which was pure fluke, because if she hadn't made that suggestion and things hadn't gone the way they did, I have not the slightest clue, 40 years later, what I would have done as an alternative. I really don't know where I'd have been. So it's been a tough journey. It's not an easy game, but I don't know what the hell I'd have done if I hadn't fallen into construction. So that's how I got into construction. Um, and then it's been a long journey of um, ups and downs and all the rest of it ever since then. What an amazing story. I can relate to your school isn't for everyone. Uh, our daughter, uh, we um, took her out of school, actually. And uh, the headmistress actually said that, that, uh, you know, the mainstream school is not for everyone. Uh, so my daughter Emma went on to be very successful being from from being she was actually homeschooled the last few years uh, as a as a teenager went on to do 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 very very well and it's great that you've I can see your attention to detail you know I've seen some of your <laughs> posts on the uh, on the LinkedIn and your reports amazing and yeah. uh, uh, I can read yeah. OCD tendencies is one of the things I've been diagnosed. <laughs> <laughs> Very much detail. And, and I can relate. I remember the days of uh, with my QS training, uh, the day release, and um, always the, I remember you'd spend all day, and we used to do an evening at the end of the day as well, which made it a long yeah, day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and you used to... Yeah, and used to get to the canteen at the end, and all they had was some shriveled up beans and a shriveled up pie to eat. Did you, you know, it was really starving. We <laughs> <laughs> I mean, may have done. We may well have done. Yeah, and so uh, uh, that was it. I ended up in QS in as I think I got in the wrong queue. I, I think I wanted construction management, but I ended up, and because I had to wait in the queue a long time, I thought, oh well, this would do, you know. So I ended well, up in that. The hysterical thing is, I turned up. Uh, on this building site on my first day and I lived in Sidcup uh, in Kent, South East London um, and my first job was Norbiton bus garage, um, literally the other side of London to the, to the west. So um, on my little motorbike then that was a, you know, it was a long journey for me um, mm. uh, uh, and I actually uh, scoped it out the day before on a Sunday. I rode to Norbiton and found this site that I was going to the day before. Um, but I turned up on this site and walked into this building site with not the slightest clue <laughs> what I'd signed up for or what I was going to be doing, really. It, yeah. it was just a revelation to me. But, um, yeah, I just hit it off with it straight away. I've never liked measurement. I don't like measurement off drawings or on site i've never been a fan of measurement itself um but all the other sides dealing with variations maximizing the income dealing with commercial issues contracts contractual correspondence commercial strategy all that side of things um mm. has always absolutely fascinated me um and I think that's the wonderful thing about quantity surveying is such a broad spectrum of parts of it that you can specialize in. And, oh, uh, yeah. you know, particularly when you get around the, the contractual, the commercial side, uh, it's very, very interesting. And then there's the other side, which is the quantification, the quantum, the measurement. Um, yeah. I don't know about you, but one of the first jobs I had was learning how to fold an AO drawing. Oh, and God, so I spent, you probably yeah. old enough to remember that. Had, oh, that was oh, one of my first yeah. jobs. <laughs> it still, still drives me mad. If you can't pick up a drawing and go like that and just open it because some yeah. buggers folded it up wrong, that still winds me up to this day. I can go better than that. When I was at the office equipment place, one of the bosses there taught me how to wrap a ream of paper properly. Uh, and that, my OCD, I'm still 
an obsessive present wrapper. If I wrap presents, <laughs> they are wrapped. Hey, like great. We'll, we'll commission you to come around and wrap all the presents up. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so so tell us about what you're involved in now then, Richard. Um, you know, your product, your service, your idea, because I know that you've got some work that you do from a consultancy base. You've got a new thing that you're doing, and it's really interesting. Yeah. So, well, there's a bit of a story behind how that came about. Um, so my career took quite a trajectory. Um, uh, you know, I was training um, with Fairclough's and then uh, I left there. I was punched to go and work uh, at Chelsea Harbour uh, for an American-owned dry lining company. So I was going head-to-head with Bovis back in the day when it was an absolute war. I was uh, a company director at 26 for a specialist joinery company as their commercial director. I then got poached to go to a fit-out company as commercial director for the fit-out business and various subsidiaries. And from that, um, we then I was fundamental in helping secure the refit of Warburg's headquarters in the city, um, which was what well, was a fifty million pound job in '95. So um, heaven knows what that would be now, 100, 150 million, I don't know. It was a big job and, and yours truly ended up running it, which was crazy, crazy times. And then um, I ran my own business for a long time. Um, then uh, I packed that up in 2009. Uh, uh, sorry, 2008. I saw the recession coming. I didn't... I didn't um, uh, predict a banking crash. I wish I'd been able to do that, but I saw my clients with my business pulling back from work. So I then went, I took a job uh, as reg- uh, as a divisional director for the special works division of a regional contractor uh, that was underperforming. And I turned that round uh, and took it from doing half its budget to exceeding its budget and increased its profitability. And then um, I left them and joined a fit-out company, and that was a disaster. Um, And that actually ended up with uh, a a two-and-a-half-year lawsuit for the employment tribunal against them. I suffered mental health problems, um, uh, A, from the treatment that I received, and B, through existing conditions that I didn't even know I'd had, which had built up over the years of all the pushing through my career and um, never understanding my own mental health and thought processes and and thus my reaction to things. Um, So that was a bitter two-and-a-half-year legal battle, but I won. Um, I did them for... um, unfair constructive dismissal, repudiatory breach of contract, direct breach of contract and disability discrimination. Um, And I decided in the midst of that court case that I wasn't going to work for someone else again when it was over. Uh, I didn't work uh, for those two and a half years. Literally, my time was taken fully by the court case. And and, and I'm happy to talk about it now because there are issues that affect a lot of other people in the industry around mental health and the treatment they receive in the industry for that. But I'm quite an advocate on mental health issues. But I decided that I wanted to start my own consultancy business. And it's taken a while to get myself back to where I needed to be and to decide what I wanted to do. And so I set up RBMC to help companies improve their performance. I'm passionate about the uh, low margins in the industry. We're all working for too little money. It's crazy. And we're doing it because we're all infighting. You know, the, the procurement chain from top to bottom is fighting each other. The people at the top of the tree are getting the jobs done cheaper than they should. And we're all losing out. And it's crazy. Now, don't get me wrong. Some some companies don't deserve to, you know, to be successful because they're not good. Others do. And for various reasons, they're not necessarily as successful as they should be. 
So I set up RBMC to try and help with that, to try and help companies improve, be better, uh, and hopefully improve their margins. And, I, and I'm passionate about it. Um, so that's that's how I got to where I am and what RBMC is about. The mental health issues are really important, aren't they? When you talk Huge. about, you know, we're we're you know we're at war with each other, with you know, there's a, there's conflict throughout the industry, and it really starts with individuals. And I think sometimes corporate bodies can forget that it's ordinary human beings that are involved in the processes, and uh, you know, we all, you know, we all kind of have that. Uh, different mental capacities, if you like, yeah, for things. Um, just, just going back to your your situation. Yeah. Uh, w what was it really? Did you think that that company really understood your your, no, it didn't your mental? Didn't understand health me at issues? all. Didn't understand me at all. More importantly, they didn't care. When I told them I had mental health problems, their treatment of me got worse. It's in the court judgment that. Um, apart from telling me, yes, I must go to my counselling when I told them I was having counselling, and once telling me not to work so late, the judge recorded that they never offered me any help, any support, or anything. That has to change. That has to change. Selfish individuals intent on their own personal gain has to stop and there's no need for it what do you think needs to be done in the industry what could be done to help the situation do you think oh huge amounts huge amounts i think that i think we all have to work to try and improve the margins because if we improve the margins we take the pressure off the industry and i'm not saying we should all be raking in loads of money and living the life of riley but there is a constant fear of bankruptcy, either your own or people around you. It, it has to change. Construction is a hard game. It's a complicated game. It's often complex. There's a hell of a lot to it. And it deserves to be rewarded for what it is. It's vital to the British economy. Hell, when COVID was on, the government was telling everyone else to stay at home, but telling construction to just carry on working because it was so important to the economy so other than first responders and you know the health professionals the only people told to keep working were the construction industry now i did lots of posts about that on linkedin at the time i was quite controversial because i could see what's happening we were being scapegoated you know the idea was that construction would spread the virus slowly uh, at a controlled rate that the nhs could cope with you put 10 percent of the workforce out to work you tell everyone else to stay home you have a slow dispersal of the virus that was my view i stand by it to this day i shouted it out at the time um and that is construction it is vital to the economy you know what we do what we leave behind legacy is is the absolute you know greatest element of what we do as far as i can so i've been privileged to work on some fantastic buildings i worked on horse guards in whitehall um absolutely you know when the place was gutted back in the uh, 80s um and i worked on the foreign and commonwealth office the old war office you know these fabulous buildings in whitehall and the legacy you leave when you you know can walk past that building with the guards stood outside and look and say to your kids see that window up there that was my office see all those roofs we did all those you know it's fabulous and that's what i i absolutely adore about the industry um apart from the technical challenges and, and all the rest of it um so that we have to improve margins to get our worth we have to realize and i've often said this to teams that work for me um ignoring health and safety issues but nobody's gonna die do you know what i mean if the job's late or you know the variations go up or whatever it may be nobody's gonna die you know and and the abuse that people take and the reactions that you get from people at times 
two situations are extreme and yet we're building stuff we're putting one brick on top of another we're cutting pieces of timber and screwing them to the wall you know we're not doing open heart surgery you know get real people people don't die if the job's late you know all right someone will argue some extreme case i'll put in a, a 20 bed um you know acute heart unit at harefield hospital you can't argue if we were late with that that somebody could have died because there wasn't a hospital bed but you get my gist that you know um you know we're not saving lives with what we do it's you know it's a job to to physically leave a legacy um and it has to be kept in proportion there's a very human side to construction and there's high le levels of stress. It can oh. be a very brutal yeah. industry, high levels of stress. One of the motivators for starting the podcast was to look at construction, the human side of construction cash flows, as well as the practical side of construction cash flow. And I, 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 I kind of um, draw the analogy of the blood taking oxygen around the body is yeah. similar to cash flowing around the yeah. supply chain around the, the business and if the blood isn't carried to the right place at the right time then Came the body has trouble and 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 it's the same with cash flow and yeah. there's so many blockages if you get a blockage in your blood flow or if there's you know we have one heart that pumps pumps the blood and the oxygen around it seems in construction there are many hearts competing for the same blood yeah. so so there's a very cultural and human side and i come across it a lot there's 90 90 percent 95 percent of constructions carried out by businesses that employ less than five people i'm not sure whether the stats exactly right but you get my drift you know there's many oh, yeah. many small businesses somebody, and these business owners me, somebody once said to me if you follow every procurement chain in construction at the end of it there's always one man, one man in a white van. Slight exaggeration, but the the gist is about right. Everything gets sublet and sublet and sublet and sublet and sublet, and and you do get down to very small businesses more often than not. Yeah, and being organised actually relieves stress, doesn't it? And sometimes you, you you know these guys are thrown into contractual situations which they're not ready to be organised for. It creates stress. I know, think one, and they one leave the, themselves exposed. Yeah, and one of the um, one of the other key factors is is honesty, transparency, and, and openness. And I've seen this time and time again. And it was certainly a huge issue at the previous company where construction companies put themselves in trouble through insufficient resources at the start. And I've done a post on this a little while back, actually insufficient resources at the start late procurement signing up to lead times that are too short and they start the job and they're on the back foot from day one and they're behind and then they're looking for the claim to get themselves out of trouble and then that pressure is projected downwards from the board to those on the project that they've got to resolve that situation when quite often it's been created by circumstances out of their control. And so if people are more honest and open and genuine in their dealings, they can, you know, people have to be put under pressure to perform, but there's degrees and the abusive level of downward pressure on staff throughout the supply chain. It's not main contractors, it goes to clients, consultants are equally as bad it goes all the way through the train when we lose sight of humans individuals their feelings then we just become abusers and that has to change i did warn you about stopping me talking didn't i hey no and you talk away that that's amazing and i'm listening and you're exactly right. The culture needs to change. And I, I believe there should there needs to be more education about what the industry would traditionally call soft issues. And sometimes I think the soft issues are the hard issues. And they're the issues that we really need to address now. We're great at building buildings. We're great at the technical side. We've bought, you know, the structures we build are amazing. But what 
where we need to go is to, you know, it's all about people and our own self-awareness and the awareness of people around us, those soft Absolutely. issues. And when we're aware and when we're less stressed and we're in that space where we can think and we can create, then we're going to even, we're going to build even greater, uh, a greater uh, built environment. If you, if, you, um, if you're not open and transparent with people and you put this downward pressure on them, uh, and this is one of the things I talk to people about because... RBMC is about improving companies and particularly risk management, commercial best practice. And if you put this down with pressure on people um, and you don't have an open, open culture, what happens is that people hide things. You know, they hope that they're not going to get found out. They push things under the carpet. They try and blame each other. They blame somebody else. They'll tell you the sub is not performing when actually they're causing them bedlam on site. Um, and as a director, you're not getting told the true picture because the people are paranoid that that they're going to be in trouble over it. And so actually, it's counterproductive. But people need to realize this. You know, everything in construction is about reporting what's happening. And it's about risk management. If you manage the risk properly, you're halfway to being successful in construction. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to educate people on. But that's what I, that's what I, um, in fact, I wanted to come on to that because you, you provide a service, which is a uh, company uh, risk analysis. Yeah. And I read one of your reports earlier uh, that you'd posted on LinkedIn. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that is a, it's an amazing report. Thank you. Uh, looking at it from a business uh, from a from a, a business perspective, from a director perspective, it's something that I would certainly think that it's a, a imperative to have done, and maybe at least once a year. And I liked it that it covered the the main pillars of where the risk areas are, yep. and it was very concise, you know. And I loved the way it was structured. So in 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 a matter of uh, a few minutes, half an hour, I can then get a a screenshot a picture of where i need to focus my attention you've got and it, it felt so good reading it and i thought i felt do you know what it, i immediately felt as if it was a stress relief because somebody yeah. some so i've now got a visual of my business and where I, where my risks are and where i need to focus and i would recommend that anybody that's got a business that hasn't had one done get one done because it it could mean the difference between a reducing your stress levels and and b whether your company actually survives or not or thrives so yeah, yeah talk talk to tell us run us take us through uh, well, the um that that's well, you just you've just done a, a pretty good job thanks for that um and of course i'd absolutely agree that any construction company that hasn't got us to do one should get us to do one um but it was designed, and a lot of work's gone into it, and it was designed, it came off the back of a conversation I had with somebody about the industry. When I was talking to somebody early on, and they were asking me what I was going to do, and, you know, I was trying to get my head focused on, on what it was going to be that I wanted to do, and how I used my strengths to help other people, which is, which is key to what I'm trying to do. I realised that, Companies don't have any way of measuring their risk management. So they, they all think they're good at it or not good at it or whatever. But what we do and what the concept I came up with is, is of setting this baseline where you stress test the business across the key operational pillars. We don't go into marketing and business development and anything like that. We're talking about the operational procedures to run the business day to day and whether it's structured in a way that manages risk because i have this concept that that i've um labeled active risk management and the idea behind it is that if you embed risk management in your day-to-day -day procedures rather than having it as a separate kind of exercise that you do then you're managing that risk day-to-day -day actively hence where the active risk management comes from the analogy that i put to is is it's a bit like antivirus software it's there working all the time 
in the same way the virus the antivirus software is stopping the viruses coming in your processes are managing the risk and they're stopping the risk hopefully uh, adversely affecting you and it's also about educating people within the business so that the staff understand the risks so i'll give i'll give you a classic this is this is a free giveaway for anyone out there um and i don't understand why well most companies that i've ever come across i don't nobody does it properly most companies don't do it at all don't sit down at the start of every job having negotiate the contract terms and then produce a written brief understandable summary for the project team of the do's and don'ts on that project and what they mean particularly where you've got you know contractual requirements that uh, you have to comply with if the staff don't understand them and just as importantly don't understand the implications it's going to go wrong so most companies the vast majority rely on the ability the experiences the education of their staff and that's right we're all paid a salary to do a job but that's not taking it a stage further that's not actively managing the risk and it's not managing the risk as well as you could so there's a freebie if you're a construction company and you're not doing that start doing it now so important thanks for that richard and it made me think of again in terms of cash flow something i'm interested in it's not something that you uh you do at the beginning of the job it's something you need to look at it every day so or even if you're a business owner you you, it's something you need to put aside each day and just look at it just know it and live it and understand where it's going the ins and outs and like this one um it's so important isn't it to communicate because quite often we'll get we'll sign up to construction contract the, the directors will agree the contract, then it goes into the drawer or the, the managing director or the, or the project manager, the site agent might have uh, sight of it. The QS will have sight of it. But then where does that go from there? I mean, nobody else in the whole, you know, no. quite often, nobody else in the supply chain understand the key risk yeah. and principles that were agreed in the contract. Absolutely. If you've got, uh, you know, conditions that uh, you know precedence a contract precedent to um getting an entitlement it might be going along swimmingly for months until something happens and the job suddenly goes wrong and then all of a sudden everyone starts looking at their position and goes ah we should have done this and we should have done that we should have done the other well it's too late then you should know that day one and you should be actively managing it and avoiding it in the first place and it doesn't mean being contractual again i've posted about this on linkedin you know looking after your position doesn't mean you have to be aggressive doesn't mean you have to be overly contractual you haven't set the terms normally the terms come down to you and you try and get the best haggle you can on the terms but the terms come from the top down and if somebody has put a condition in there that says you must do x y z to secure your position then do x y z do it nicely do it politely you don't have to you know make a big fuss about it but do it that's what the contract says and if somebody starts arguing with you point them to their own contract and say well what do you want me to do well let's renegotiate the contract then if you're not happy about me recording things the way that you've demanded i do them let's stop let's renegotiate the contract and let's come up with a different process are they going to do that of course they're not but you know you you demonstrate the point and then you know you move forward from there they either accept that you're complying with the terms they've given you or they agree to change them you kind of it both ways it's interesting uh, lawrence pierce who's in the kind of linkedin group uh, i know lawrence he, yeah. lawrence yeah he talks about going through each each clause and doing the who why what where when against each each clause and this kind of takes it on one step further is okay so how do we communicate that to the staff that matter or the people that matter how do we and, and what are the risks around the what why where when who 
you know yeah. so it's kind of you know that kind of brings together the not just uh the high level but how is that disseminated then throughout the project well it's it kind of what i think you're coming from yeah. yeah but it starts from that first an analysis and given a list to your staff of the do's and don'ts so they understand them in not not everyone's a qs not everyone's a, a very experienced contractual manager um a lot of ops people aren't and they don't want to be but they have to operate within a framework that that is the reality of life so give them the knowledge give them the understanding a simple format of what the do's and don'ts are and then you've got to keep managing that every month when you're having your review meetings you've got to relook at those issues one of the biggest mistakes another freebie coming up and one of the biggest mistakes that contractors make is they don't review their critical path as they go through the project so every month they sit down and they talk about progress and they go oh we're 10 percent behind on the brickwork and we're four percent ahead on the electrics and we're doing great over here oh we haven't procured the windows that's going to be a problem but they don't quite often in my experience they don't actually stop and look at the critical path properly um and all right there's been a lot of you know debate about critical paths recently has been a legal judgment you know where the judge you know more or less disregarded the issue of critical paths and and just looked at delays as as they were but the reality is there is a critical path it changes constantly um and if you're not actually reviewing the critical path and your progress against that and what is the critical path at the moment what's going to happen you ain't finishing on time you know it's not rocket science um so manage your risks manage your risks properly understand them identify them manage them you know um and it reinforces the uh it reinforces the uh concept of actually knowing what's going on on a daily basis and keeping records on a daily basis the right records on a daily basis yeah. looking at the critical path it's the only way you can look at the critical path on a daily basis look at your cash flow on a daily basis look at look at the uh the any any risks that are coming up the quality on a daily basis so trying to go back retrospectively and work out cause and effect <laughs> is very very difficult and i think that's where the lawyers rub their hands together they go this is great they got to go back six months remember what the cause and effect was and so if you're on top expensive. of it it's exactly hugely expensive you know and again another mistake contractors make they under resource projects oh, i'm not spending more on the prelims you know um uh, and, and they might, you know, not spend another 10, 20, 30 grand on an additional member of staff on a project because they're losing money, but they'd be losing far more than that, hand over fist, in other areas of the project, um, you know, and the potential outcome. You've got to look realistically at the big picture, the whole scenario, and say, okay, I'll spend another 50 grand. I'm having another QS or another site manager or whatever it might be on that job because the downside of me not doing that is going to be half a million pound in damages or whatever, you know. Um, another classic mistake. Um, I'm giving away all the jewels today, aren't I? Another, another classic mistake, late procurement. And I've had, I've had surveyors come to me in the past, been, you know, looking for a job, being interviewed. And complain to me about this um where companies have procedures that say you cannot let a subcontract that's going to lose money so you get a qs he's got a subcontract to let he's going to lose five grand on it he's been to god knows how many plasterers to get a quote he can't match the the uh price that they've got in for the job and the powers that be above who are not directly involved in trying to sort out the problem are just going no 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 that's our procedure you've got to find somebody that can do it for that price meantime they're doing 20 grand a week in damages you know the plastering's not going on the wall they're four weeks late they're in 80 grand's worth of damages and everyone's still running about worrying about the fact that the the particular package is going to be five grand over budget hello boys wake up and smell the coffee 
get with a program for heaven's sake. You know, it's not sensible and it's not looking at the whole picture. Um, so there's another one. So where you're looking at the big picture, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I quite often talk about a bigger picture in terms of construction supply chains being affected by outside influences so there's the project at hand then there's their overall business operation so i talk about robbing peter to pay paul that goes on from finances from other projects to finance yeah. this project and vice versa yeah. cash cash farming and other wider influences and and it kind of brings me back to your analysis work that you do the risk analysis where you look at the five pillars because sometimes it can be other matters that not a, that are not necessarily direct with the particular product, but project, yep. but other matters in the business that or outside the business the, or at, outside the business that affecting yep. the performance of that that particular project. And I, I another another uh, interest that I have is around mergers and acquisitions, which looks at the broader spectrum of a business's performance you know yep. i always say if you're gonna look to start a business look how to buy one first and then you'll know how to run one and i liked your analysis with the five pillars because it looks at that broader context and i would say that that would be a great report to have for anybody buying a company you know yeah that i absolutely. really do yeah. uh, it's fantastic yeah um, no, we, we've talked about this internally about the fact that we could actually go and do it on a company that's uh, a subject for an ex acquisition because it would it would give them a really good snapshot of where the business is i've i've actually had some experience in acquisitions in the past i've actually gone in to um a company when i was at the fit out business um slightly allied to what we were doing but we had um uh, uh a cleaning a contract cleaning business which is where the fit out company had originally started and it bought another cleaning business now i don't know anything about contract cleaning but i know about people and i can understand you know uh the way people talk to me so the md sent me in to review all the staff in that business and come back and give him a report on what i thought about them before he actually bought the business you know and i sat down with them um and talked through what they did and how the business worked uh, so absolutely, what we do is is definitely um, you know fully usable in in that scenario. And the other thing that people forget, and um, in fact, there's been uh, a great reminder of it over the weekend um, it, with the settlement between the government and KPMG over the horrendous fiasco of the Carillion audits we won't go into the detail of that was for a particular hobby horse of mine the the big four and their auditing of construction companies well any business actually um but when you look at construction company figures they're all made up but that's what people don't understand outside the industry and that's what most people inside the industry don't understand either is that when you take an account on a project in the midst of that project if you take it at the highest level from the main contractor's account to the client and even the QS's budget beyond that to the client, every number's made up. It's a made up view of where the project is, how much work has been done, how much work hasn't been done, how many variations there are, what those variations are worth, what the cost of those variations is to the business every number is made up and if you don't understand how to interrogate those numbers you're just purely working on trust in everything that's presented to you and i've done a lot of you know i spent a lot of time as a commercial director in in various businesses uh, and as part of that job in a nice way challenging my staff about numbers where they've gotten from what they mean are they sensible you know are they realistic um so it's not like having a factory that makes widgets and you've got four million bits of plastic or whatever to make the widgets you know in the corner and that's your stock and you know you've sold 10 widgets and you should have sold 10 million you know construction is all about an assessment 
an analysis of the figures and how well you do that is how well your numbers are and time and time again company failures tolan look at tolan some of the stories that are coming out of tolan of problem jobs they just demonstrate that the same old thing that we've seen time and time again of skeletons coming out of the closet and biting people on the bum with construction projects all of a sudden all these skeletons come out the cupboard they come home to roost and the next thing the company's bust you know it runs out of cash it can't trade it can't sustain the lies and smokescreen anymore and it all comes home to roost eventually it's called the final account you know you get what you get <laughs> um uh, and if you've been telling everyone you're gonna get a lot more than you get you know it's coming home to roost i had a similar conversation with sebastian tavares recently on uh, recording his pod podcast and we were talking about that and it's interesting what you say about the made-up figures because you're, you're you're taking a slice of time and and there's a lot of assumptions yep. and most numbers in construction during a project are based on certain assumptions yep. but There's people fluid. don't yeah people don't exactly people don't observe the assumptions and manage the assumptions as they go along and that's where as you say the skeletons come out the closet the chickens come home to roost because they've not even you know yourself if you if you're doing a budget you've got you've got all your budget figures and then at the back there's a list of assumptions whoever reads the assumptions but that's where the that's where the gray area that's the bit yeah. that needs managing the assumptions and it goes the back, back it goes back to the earlier point about honesty and transparency and if you're beating everyone down you know and and they're terrified of what's going to happen to them they're going to hide the truth you know and when that hiding the truth comes from the corporate level all the way down um then that's when you get you know the really big problems that bring bring down companies somebody once said it to me you know when when i was talking to the way to them about the way construction works they said to me all oh, right so everyone's polishing the turd on the way up and i said well yeah it's, it's blunt but it's true because you know if if you look at a big contract contracting organization the the report will start at site level and that depends what stories the subbies are telling the contractor and it goes up and it goes to you know a managing qs or whatever and he might tidy it up a little bit and then it goes up to a, a regional board and they have a little tweak and you know and by the time it actually gets to plc the figures are meaningless and if nobody's got you know um uh the, the the proper insight as to what's happening all the way down you know the due diligence being done problems will happen you know so in terms of your service and that you provide uh, yeah. which i think is very very valuable uh, particularly around um I, I liked your report on on retentions which was great which starts a discussion discuss a debate going but particularly about your five pillars of analysis for company and that that's that's amazing so who would your who would your service primarily be for it's it's for anyone anyone in construction um and it's for anyone in construction that wants to make their business better it's about people that want to create the best version of their company they can um, and that, that want to genuinely work on making their business better uh, and you've got to have the right approach to, to doing it otherwise I mean anyone could do it and the way we do the report is we come in we spend two days with your senior managers we take the heads of departments for the four business pillars so health safety environmental corporate governance operational performance and commercial management and we sit with the heads of those departments and we ask them loads of questions that we've written i spent two months writing questions and then we gather all that information we take it away we Put that information into a weighted scoring matrix that i've created and we come back with a report which is scored and that's important 
that's one of the key issues is that anyone can come in and look at a company and say oh yeah i think you're pretty good or you're not doing very well or whatever but actually what we've done is taken it a stage further and we actually score it and we give you metrics and that's the key thing because from those metrics you identify the particular weak or risk areas and you identify the good areas and so sometimes they can be really surprising you know you can have a really good company really clued up commercially but actually they're doing one thing wrong and the one that i know you've seen talks about not doing uh zero payment notices uh and just assuming that because you didn't pay the contractor anything else anything last month and he hasn't done anything since you don't need to do a payment notice well that's naive and stupid because you just open yourself up to a smashing grab it's not difficult to manage these things if you're focused and that's what we do we give that score and we give the written report that says yeah you're really good at commercial but you're just missing this one bit and then from there they do with it what they want they can put it on the shelf and let it cover that collect dust they can sit back and bask in the glory that they've scored really well and actually they don't need to do a lot and and that in itself how good how valuable is that is knowing that actually mm -hmm. you've stress tested your business and actually you were right you are pretty damn good at what you're doing i think that is that is i think that's a valuable exercise in itself um but if you have got any weaknesses, you identify them and you can either deal with them yourself, you can bring other people in to deal with them, or you, of course you could ask us and what I call our knowledge bank of people behind um, to come in and help you deal with those issues and improve them. But the choice is entirely up to the, to the client what, what they do from that point. And then in the ideal situation, you call us back next year and we do it again and we measure the improvement because everything that gets measured gets better someone said that to me a little while back and at first i thought oh that's one of those you know sayings that get thrown about and then i stopped and thought about it and i thought about it particularly in terms of what we were doing and what we were creating and i thought do you know what it's absolutely spot on because if you measure how good your risk management is then you can improve it if you can't measure it how do you improve it and that's exactly what we're about with the construction company risk appraisal so how can people contact you richard and find out more about your service yep so they can uh obviously they can contact me through linkedin um i'm quite uh, active on linkedin so they can dm me through linkedin they'll find me on there um, they can email me, richardb at rbmnc.com, which is rbmandc.com. Um, or they can give me a call, um, 028 27 070 I'm always put, happy to talk. I'll put, the, I'll put the details, I'll put the links in the podcast notes. Uh, for when the episode comes out so they can watch the episode and then click on the link and then come and find you that way uh, so Richard it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much some real nuggets in there some great You're advice welcome. great welcome, advice in there and now so have you time for the quick fire round for motivation yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay ready so first question then yeah how do you how do you start your day slowly I'm not a morning person. I'm, I've got one speed in the morning, dead slow. When are you most productive? Uh, well, during the day, but I also tend to get second wind in the evenings, which can be really annoying. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tend to think, I should go to bed. Let's do some more work. And next thing you know, it's one, two o'clock in the morning and I'm still working. So, yeah, I'm a bit like that. What's something new that's happening in your life right now? Well, trying to get RBMC off the ground is, is, <laughs> is, is the absolute priority at the moment. So, uh, yeah. What does adventure look like to you? To me, 
uh, it's getting up every day and surviving. Um, uh, life is life is a struggle. Life isn't easy. Life involves problems. It involves adventure. I'm not one for big, you know, ego boosting, you know, um, adventurous type things. I think anything you do that takes you out of your comfort zone is being adventurous. So whatever it may be, uh, in business, in life, in social, in whatever it is, if you're taking yourself outside your comfort zone, you're being adventurous. You don't have to go and, you know, create a Guinness World Record or something or do something incredibly dangerous to be adventurous. That said, I have been stroke challenged to go up in a light plane at the moment, and I'm I'm toying with that one because I'm terrible with heights, which isn't necessarily the ideal thing for someone in construction. You should see me tarting around on a scaffold at times. <laughs> <laughs> so this one might be linked and it might not. What thing would you love to do that might surprise your friends and family? Well, uh, there's not much that would surprise my close friends and family. I'm, I'm a pretty open book kind of guy. Wear my heart on my sleeve, tell it as it is. Um, so people pretty much know, you know, what makes me tick and what, what um, you know, I would like, wouldn't like to do. But one that not necessarily everyone out there would know, uh, I would love to cuddle a, bit, cuddle a big cat. I love big cats, which is funny because I'm not a domestic cat person. I'm a dog person. I've got four of them and absolutely adore them. But I've always loved big cats. I actually know someone that's got two tigers, lives just around the corner from me. Um, but you can't cuddle them, unfortunately. But yeah, cuddle a big cat. Name a challenge that you overcame that changed your life. <laughs> We may have touched on this one already, a two and a half year legal battle against <laughs> uh, an obnoxious employer. Yeah. And the mental health issues. Um, yeah. Huge, huge challenge. That's the one. What or who, motiv what inspires you and motivates you? Um, uh, motivates me is my family. Everything I do is for my family. Um, it's as simple as that. Um, uh, that's that's what drives me every day is to to be successful for my family, um, to give them the best that I can. It's it's always been that way. Um, that's kind of linked to who inspires me because who inspires me um, is my dad, uh, who's no longer with us. We were extremely different characters um uh, uh i could do a podcast on my dad just just on on himself um but he spent his entire adult life giving back to people through his work and through charities and everything else that he did and his morality um and his approach to life that's what inspires me every day to try and be a better version of me um yeah what does success mean for you success for me means um i i don't have a problem with people chasing you know um monetary success and and uh, and um uh, aspirational things and i, I don't I, I think that's good, you know. Um, it's when it gets excessive and becomes all about vanity things and all the rest of it. So success to me is about having a comfortable lifestyle and looking after my family. Um, but it's also about how I live my life and, um, you know, how um, I deal with others and raising my kids that I'm proud of them. I think we've done... Uh, a pretty good job on that not perfect but a pretty good job so um yeah it's uh, it's about helping others along the way you know not not um it's not necessarily again about going out doing big flash demonstrable things you know um but it's about 
do you help people when you have the opportunity or do you walk on by? Um, that to me is a measure of success and it's a measure of how you you live your life, you know. Um, so it's those, those kind of things um, that, you know, success is to me. Yeah. What advice would you give to your young self? Oh, huge amounts. I, I don't I don't even know where to start with that. Um, there's been so much has happened in my life, in and out of work. Um, but more importantly than what I would tell my young self, it's what I try and tell my kids now. And I have a really open, honest relationship with my kids. And I try to share all my life experiences and my mistakes and my positives with them so that they have a better understanding as they move forward and lead their life. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would tell my young self a huge amount and my young self wouldn't listen. Thank you, Richard. Well, you're an amazing dad, an amazing professional and an amazing guest. Thank you so much. Sure, thank you. Let's do it again sometime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You've been listening to Construction Cashflow. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already done so, so you never miss an episode. And remember, the faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, give us a rating and review.